0: answers begins right now. The Mormon Church is one of the largest cult organizations in the world. Dr. Corey Miller states that the majority of Mormon converts have some kind of Christian background. This is one of the reasons it is so important that all Christians know biblical teaching, but are also equipped to share the true Jesus with those in the kingdom of the cults. How can we effectively share the true Jesus with our Mormon friends and the missionaries that we encounter? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with our host Pat Zuckram. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. In our broadcast today, Pat interviews his guest, Dr. Corey Miller, and they'll be discussing the best ways to equip you to understand and effectively engage your Mormon friends for Christ. Now let's begin with part one of this three-part interview. Here's our host, Pat.
1: You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, many of us have Mormon friends or have engaged with Mormon missionaries who come to our doorstep. Well, Mormons, are they Christian? Is Mormonism just another kind of Christian denomination, or is it completely different? How do we effectively engage and share Christ with our Mormon friends and with the missionaries that we meet? Well, to help us with this is Dr. Corey Miller. Dr. Miller was born in Utah as a seventh-generation Mormon. His ancestor was a polygamist and one of Joseph Smith's, the founder of Mormonism, one of Joseph Smith's bodyguards. Corey Miller is presently now president of Roshio Christie, campus apologetics and evangelism ministry on 150 campuses, probably more. One of the fastest growing campus ministries in the world, not just the United States, but the world. He has four graduate degrees, and taught nearly 100 courses in philosophy and religion, including there at Indiana and Purdue Universities. He's the author of several books, Is Faith in God Reasonable? Leaving Mormonism, uh, Why Four Scholars Changed Their Minds, and this new one here that has just come out here, Responding to the Mormon Missionary Message. So, Corey, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Thank you, Pat. It's great to be back. Appreciate it. Well, first of all, as we begin, tell us a little bit about your background before we uh, get into a lot of the details of Mormonism. Tell us about your background and your relationship with Mormonism.
2: Yeah, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah. I have a family that, when they did our genealogy, said, Wow. Uh, We come from healthy stock, and that refers back to the the polygamist experience there. Six generations back, the ancestor was one of the bodyguards of Joseph Smith, a colonel in the Mormon battalion. I have a personal uh, facsimile note that Joseph Smith wrote to him to have him court-martial one of the excommunicants at that time. Hmm. Uh, So that ancestor, six generations back, separated from his own father seven generations back, Because the father partook of the first splinter group of Mormonism ever at the highest defection level of Mm. Mormonism ever. So it's interesting looking back at that history, but I didn't know all that history. I just grew up in a tradition, in a culture in Utah, and uh, didn't really have any idea of that. I grew up like any other Mormon kid and didn't know there was a whole lot else out there at that time. Utah has since changed. But my conversion experience was such that I had a friend invite me to California, spend the whole summer at the beaches there. If I would just go to this non-denominational Christian camp, I went there. uh, The speaker spoke on hell. I tell people it scared the hell out of me and heaven into me. And it so radically changed my, my life that I went back, got my mom's permission, moved to California my junior year of high school, where I lived and was discipled in this youth group and then uh, came back my senior year to utah to graduate from high school and that's when the pressure began because now i had people challenging me asking me if I had really made the right decision and if I wanted to reread the Book of Mormon this time for the sake of truth rather than just tradition, especially in light of the threat that I, under some interpretation, could be a son of perdition and my future didn't look bright. And so I thought, yeah, I should probably do that. And I did. And uh, now I found myself thankful that I'd left Mormonism, but now wondering about why I should trust the Bible. What about the experience that I just have over the last year? I learned, I grew up believing that the Bible was corrupt, but it didn't matter because you had living prophets. Now that I no longer believe in these living prophets of the LDS Church, what am I to make of the Bible? And how do I know God exists? And if so, which God? And that's the experience that I had, Pat, that sent me on the trajectory into comparative religions and philosophy to where I've landed today, more confident than ever, that historical biblical Christianity is true and have a good relationship with God. So I've not thrown the baby out with the bathwater. I, I left Mormonism to follow Jesus.
1: Yeah. Tell us just a little bit, you know, what is it or what are the things that really convinced you that indeed Christianity is taught in the Bible, that that is true?
2: Well, I even though I lead an apologetics campus evangelism ministry, it wasn't apologetics initially. It was Coming to encounter the living God, grace for the first time, I'd never heard it before in a way that I'd never heard or been presented to before, and then seeing that displayed in people. It was the challenge that followed that to show that what my experience just was, wasn't just some personalized existential encounter, but that it was rooted in some objective truth in time space history and that's what i needed now i needed to see that there was evidence that showed that the bible wasn't corrupt and that of all the gods that exist it is the christian god and so as i started looking more and more at the evidence as a kind of bracketed skeptic at that time open to throwing the whole thing out maybe just wondering if i had just an experience and it was purely psychological divorced from you know the rest of reality And when I started finding that in the field of apologetics, the reliability of the Bible, arguments for God's existence, uh, the resurrection of Christ, that stuff started to get me really, really, really super excited. And uh, it birthed in me just a, a new passion for evangelism. And that's where I started having eyes for the university, for evangelism at the highest levels and decided to pursue a PhD in philosophy so that I could do evangelism and communicate with those at the highest levels in the university.
1: Yeah. And you also, uh, because of your background, have a tremendous love and burden to reach Mormon people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so uh, tell us about, you know, you've studied philosophy, but also how did you get into researching in Mormonism? I mean, natural for you, because that's what you came out of.
2: Yeah, it's kind of natural in that sense. But, you know, as I've taught comparative religions uh, at Indiana University, some semesters you teach Western religions, some semesters you teach Eastern religions, some you do all of the major religions. Mm-hmm. And I I kept being pressed to find out how should I actually present Mormonism? Is it a Western religion? I mean, it talks about Jesus. It talks about the Bible, but its view of God is closer to Hinduism in the sense that at least Hinduism, I don't know whoever counted, but they like to say there's 300 million gods. Well, if the law of eternal progression in Mormonism is true, and the universe is eternal, then this has been happening for a long time, and there are more gods in Mormonism than there are in Hinduism. Hmm. Uh, So it's, you know, it's, it's a real challenge there. But I think with that background, I've always had a passion for the Mormon people and wanting to make a contribution to the evangelization of Mormon people, in addition to the whole But that's kind of my background. That's my testimony. So that's why I wanted to make my mark in in that field
1: as well. Now, I think one of the reasons it's important, not only to study Mormonism, but the kingdom of the cults, is that so many people that end up in Jehovah Witness or Mormon come from Christian church backgrounds, as you state. And you state in your book that 30% of Latter-day Saint members or those who end up in a Mormon church are converts from Christian churches, In fact, uh, your book states that the majority of LDS converts have some kind of Christian background. Why do so many from Christian backgrounds end up in the Mormon church? Yeah, and
2: I think the percent is is much, much, much higher than that. I saw a recent uh, quote that it was over 80%. Wow. And so, you know, they don't typically target. They're not going to go to a Muslim country. They're not going to go excavate ground where they have to, you know, sort of reinvent the wheel. Their missionary discussions are entirely predicated, beginning with discussion number one, on subverting the foundations of historic Christianity to make room for Mormonism as the restored gospel. And so the vast majority of converts are from Christian churches, and the vast majority of new Mormons coming in are not by birth, but by conversion through the Mormon missionary efforts. And that's why it was so important for us to, you know, stop the bleeding. They like to claim a Baptist church per week, Uh stop the bleeding from people moving from Christian churches into Mormonism, and to give us the opportunity then also to lead Mormon missionaries to Christ in the way that it's highly strategic, because if you get a Mormon missionary, then you get their following as
1: well. And so uh, it does double duty there. I would agree with you. Dozens of Mormon missionaries and Mormons and a lot of them I would say at least 50% of them came from Christian church backgrounds whether it's brethren or baptist or catholic or you know united church of christ many even from evangelical backgrounds ended up in mormonism well Corey, tell us as we begin to understand mormon culture uh your book I think the first section talks about Mormon culture and understanding the Mormon missionary who will be coming to our door or that we engage with. How do Mormons view their church? Yeah, Pat,
2: we wanted to give a presentation that showcased Mormonism not just as a religion with aberrant theology, but rather than just a cult like in the kingdom of the cults when it comes to their view of God and salvation. It's actually a culture. It's a people group that has a set of practices and customs and lifestyle, perceptions about the world, a self-conception about themselves. That really, if you've never been, say, to the state of Utah, it's one of the 50 states, but it's a different state. It's radically different. The government is run by Mormons, typically, and the culture is Mormon. From some of the food to the traditions, Holidays next to every high school and even middle school are seminary buildings. And these people see themselves as, you know, spiritual Israel. They see themselves as the chosen people. They see themselves as similar to the Exodus in the Old Testament going through all that hardship. Well, they took the trek westward to Utah to avoid persecution, and they see themselves as a persecuted people. So, their self-identity, the Mormon religion is really wrapped up more sociologically and psychologically than it is theologically. And so for the Christian who wants to reach Mormons, they need to understand it as a culture and not just as a cult. They need to address the the lifestyle and not just the logic, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. You know, for many of us coming out of uh, different belief systems, uh, you know, for myself coming out of Buddhism, you know, when you talk to a lot of Buddhists here uh, from the Japanese background I came out of, you ask them, you share with them the gospel. And in the end, you know, just like last night, I was having dinner with a government official here. And in the end, he said, Well, I'm, I'm Buddhist. That's that I said, Oh, well, tell me about Buddhism. What is it? He goes, Well, I don't know what it teaches, you know, I just, <laughs> you know, so it, it, it's kind of like that. It's, part of the culture. And so there's a lot of emotional and historical ties that you're talking about that it's a really tough thing to leave because not only are you leaving a quote organization or a church, I mean, you're leaving a culture. You've got a history there. Uh, You talk about how they value their history and uh, how they're connected with their past prophets and forefathers and all of that. So there's a very strong connection there, isn't there?
2: Yeah. I mean, on a given Sunday, What's happening in the sacrament services here in Indiana is the same messaging that's going to be happening in the sacrament services there in Hawaii and in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So it feels very contiguous and a lot of continuity. So for a Mormon to leave all of that for the little Presbyterian church with 300 people down the road feels rather odd. And the biggest thing of all is really their drive. Families are forever. Families are forever. Families are forever. Unless there is a almost a competitive community to envelop them and embrace them, they're seeing themselves giving up a whole lot. I mean, your soul is on the line. That should be enough. But still, humanly speaking, people of the flesh, you really don't want to be rejected by by your family. You don't want to be an outcast. You don't want to be ostracized and be solo throughout life. You want to have community and that's why I think it's important too for the Christians to come alongside them, not just as logic choppers and have theological disputes back and forth, but really love the person and win the person, win the soul to Christ.
1: Yeah. So how do Mormons view Christians or you know other churches, the other quote Christian churches? How do they view other churches and other Christians? Well, since
2: the last apostle died in the first century, they've lost the priesthood. And it's been gone for 18 centuries until it was restored to Joseph Smith, according to Mormonism. And so Mormons look at other Christian creeds as maybe having part of the truth. And they look at other Christian ministers as do-gooders following to the best of their knowledge. But they are lacking substantially in certain theological knowledge, but most fundamentally, they're lacking the priesthood authority. They do not have the authority to act for God. And that includes invalid baptisms, invalid marriages, ultimately, without having the proper priestly blessing. And so that's part of why Mormon practice includes baptism for the dead, because you've got to have a proper baptism. Baptism is salvific for Mormons, and it's got to be done by the proper priestly hands, so to speak. And so that's why they do genealogical work and go back in the past. And your grandfather and my grandfather and our great, 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 great grandfathers, you know, they're all getting baptized as Mormon, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, so that they can hear the genuine gospel in the next life and make a decision there. So they don't see typical Christians as having the full truth. They often describe it like a, you know, imagine a mirror Mm -hmm. held up by, uh, on a suspended ceiling by 12 wires, each wire representing one of the 12 apostles. As each wire was cut, uh, as each apostle was martyred for his faith the mirror fell, shattered into a thousand pieces, and all the bits and pieces of Christendom came and got parts of the truth, but none had the whole truth. And most importantly, none had the priestly authority to put it all together and make sense of it. That's what was restored in the restored gospel from Joseph Smith.
1: Yeah, I think that's a great analogy of the mirror that you just gave there. And in the chapter, I think the chapter you wrote, you talk about there are levels of authority in Mormonism. And so I think that's important to understand when you are talking with your Mormon friend, in that there are different levels of authority or sources of authority in Mormon theology. Tell us about those sources of authority and, and those levels of authority.
2: Yeah, Robert Millett, who was the, the Dean of Religious Studies at BYU, Brigham Young University in Provo, Utah. I know you guys have got a BYU-Hawaii there as well, Been to that campus when I was there visiting you last. Robert Millett has a chapter in a book titled, Authority is Everything. Authority is Everything. And so they have three ways of authority. They have the prophets, and in particular, the living prophet over and against the dead prophet. They have to make that distinction. And you have to ask, why do you have to make that distinction if they're all in agreement? And the answer is because they're not, (laughs) and they know it. The second is their holy book. So Mormon missionaries often carry a quad that includes their standard works, which are the uh, Book of Mormon, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Pearl of Great Price, and the King James Bible, as far as it's translated correctly, which we know what that implies. And so you've got the prophets and modern revelation, you've got their scriptures, and then... What I take to be the buck stopper, the ultimate authority, even though it shouldn't trump the other two, but for the average Mormon, when you come to them and present some serious evidence that normally might serve to undermine their belief system, they're going to push back and say, don't confuse me with the facts. I've got a feeling. They're not going to say it in those words, but that's essentially what they mean. They've got this testimony, this personal revelation. Modern revelation is core and fundamental for Mormonism. And each one of us has personal revelation and you're taught to seek a testimony. And that's not the same kind of testimony that typical Christians embrace. It's an ecstatic experience that you are said to know that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is the one true church, that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God, that the Book of Mormon is the word of God, and so forth. And you seek this testimony. You fall back and defend if you get attacked on this testimony. You use that testimony uh, in an offense kind of a way to spur encouragement toward your religion with those who are prospective converts. The testimony is core for the average Mormon.
1: Yeah, and Corey, uh, we're going to talk about that testimony, but first, how do they deal when, you know, one of the difficulties several Mormons have who really study their works is how do they deal when there's contradictions uh, between their sources of authority? The Book of Mormon says there's only one God, yet doctrine and covenants and the teachings of Joseph Smith, you know, will say that, you know, God was once a man who through his good life became reach the status of godhood as he did and you have the bible that makes it clear really there's only one god creator of heavens and earth and so when you have contradictions like that how do they deal with that
2: the average mormon is going to say i don't care what you show me i know that the church is the one true church i bear you my testimony and you can know too and so in one sense the logic of contradiction. Does not even phase them oftentimes. And this is why, for a lot of the books that address Mormonism, they don't take on the testimony. And I've come to see huge value in this, not only because of my coming from the inside out, but I did dissertation work uh, in my PhD in philosophy on this, on the issue of testimonial belief and the knowledge of God. And then, uh, you know, really, really reflecting on all my encounters in witnessing to Mormon missionaries and so forth. It's like throwing socks on a, on a wall. You know, nothing sticks. They always come back to this testimony. You think you've got this logical knockdown argument and you deliver it. And it's like egg and face, nothing worked. And so it's my contention, Pat, that even though it's not an essential doctrine, like who is God or how does man get to heaven, both of which find their segue in the person and work of Jesus, it is an essential to dialogue with Mormons, unless you arrest this testimony, unless you get them to reflect and consider the possibility of doubting their testimony, you're not going to move to second or third or fourth base with most of these people. And so there's got to be a way for us to make a presentation to them where for the rest of their lives, so long as they bear testimony and they do it a lot, they're never going to forget that sense of doubt every time they bear that testimony. Because as it is, I think they've got an over reliance on the sole criterion of truth, which is the testimony. And you can easily show that to be problematic. We've got to do that very soon in our encounter before we hope to get to second and third base.
1: Yeah. I've read a lot of articles and and books on Mormonism and and spoke with a lot of guys in mormon evangelism i thought that was one of the best part of your book that's talked about here is understanding their reliance on testimony and how to get them to look carefully and question their testimony i remember sharing uh, with a couple mormon missionaries a few months ago and you know i opened by saying you know i said there's a big difference between christianity and mormonism and they said oh really we don't see any so we just went through the doctrine of god doctrine of jesus nature of man and Uh, After a long moment of silence, you know, they could see, I said, the two are not the same here. They're very different. After I remember a long, uncomfortable moment of silence, finally, the senior partner stood up and said, well, I believe because I've had the burning of the bosom and I know in my heart, this is true, you know, just what you're saying. And so how do we get them to doubt their testimony here? I think that was a very important part of your book here. In trying to understand the Mormon culture, there's an internal
2: culture, not just an external culture of customs and practices. And it is that they are feeling people. They are people of experience. And when it comes to politics or engineering, they're just as logical and rational as the rest of us. But when it comes to religion, they are a feeling people.
0: Once again, we've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers. Our goal is to bring you the love of Christ and to equip you in your faith to always be ready to give a response. If you would like to hold an apologetics conference or series of teachings at your facility, contact Pat by calling him in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may email him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to browse through our listing of topics on our site. We have everything from atheism, to Zen Buddhism. You will also find articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. An additional location to find Pat's messages is on YouTube. Look up Evidence and Answers and hit the subscribe button. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. Donating is simple. Just log on at evidenceandanswers.org. Evidence and Answers is grateful for one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a place to grow in your faith, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log in at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman.